I'm Richard Serrett. Join me on Strange Planet for in-depth conversations with the world's top paranormal investigators, alien abductees, Bigfoot trackers, monster hunters, time travelers, and more. The handler one day told her this whole thing about how they've been terraforming on Mars, and they're building a colony, and they're recruiting specific people of specific bloodlines and specific talents and skill sets to go onto the planet. On Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, we're redefining reality. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Today on Around the Coin, I interviewed Alex Edelman. He is the CEO and co-founder of Lolly, a rewards application that lets people earn Bitcoin when they shop online from over a thousand merchants. Alex was previously the co-founder of Cosmic, a leading e-commerce gateway, which was acquired a couple of times. And we talked about that story. Uh, Alex really has a expertise and has spent his entire career focused on uh, gateways, reward programs, having started these two companies, which are both successful, he has a unique perspective on how merchants, but more broadly, how finance and currency flows in society. So we dove into a lot of the philosophical viewpoint on how governments oversee money, what their role is in the past, what it should be going forward, and what his view is on how technology and innovators across the world should and should not be allowed to compete. So we dove into the details. We, we talked a lot about uh, his background and, and parlayed that into a view of the world, which I found incredibly fascinating. So I hope you enjoy the show with Alex Edelman of Lolly. The show is sponsored by Otter Labs at HireOtter.com. You can find a developer for your project, or if you're working for an existing tech company, a tech startup, Regardless if there's two people or 2,000 people, Otter Labs is a great option to find permanent long-term developers for your company. So if you're looking in the U.S., if you're looking in South America, check out Otter Labs. There's over 1,200 developers in the community, and it is a fantastic option. And with that, I bring you Alex Edelman. All right, so here we are. Uh, of Alex Edelman, the CEO f- and founder of Lolly. Um, Alex, I'm excited to dive in with you today and explore some some topics. Yeah, me too. It's gonna be fun. Yeah, let's uh, let's just let's just pay the foundation here. Uh, do you want to just give me a little background on uh, what were the market dynamics that led you to believe that Lolly is is a business worth dedicating? at least a few years of your life too, and, and what Lolly is doing currently. Yeah. So, so uh, where, where the problem really arose is that I think it was, you know, three or four years ago, even today, it's still too difficult to get into crypto. Uh, I think you, you have to take your hard-earned money and you have to invest in, in it. And I think that's a lot for um, the majority of the population that, that doesn't really have that mindset, doesn't think like that. So, um, what our goal was is to make Bitcoin not just more accessible and, and to get more of it for people who have crypto, 
but also to introduce crypto to a whole new uh, realm of people and you know do our part in bringing Bitcoin and bringing crypto to the next hundred million people in the world. Yeah, and so what's the what's the tactic to do that? Like, how does it get? If you go a level more granular on that, what's the implementation? Yes. So what we've done is we've created the easiest way for people to earn through shopping. We've worked, Mm -hmm. we work with over a thousand different merchants that give us merchant funded offers. So a user can, you know, earn Bitcoin back at at Nike and Adidas um, and Best Buy, um, places that they're used to shopping. And when they shop using Lolly, they get Bitcoin back for their purchases. So we're taking this existing uh, cashback rewards uh, model and we're saying, you know, people want to earn Bitcoin over cash. Uh, People want to set up a Bitcoin wallet. And we can make that happen in a very uh, low to no friction way. Yeah. Uh, well, let me ask you, is, it, is this a U.S. psychological expectation when they spend money to get, get cash back because we're so heavily dependent on, on credit cards? Or is it? do you see this pervasive across other major Western companies or the world? Or how, how does it get, how does it distribute it? Yeah, right. Right now we're U.S. focused, um, but you know, in our experience with our previous company, you know, we we did a lot of cross border, a lot of international, and uh, this cashback is international, right? Like everybody yeah. wants free money, uh, everyone wants cashback, everyone wants coupons and savings and deals, um, and so yeah, it is a universal product at its core. Um, right now, it's it's uh, U.S. only, uh, just because of you know being a startup and you can only tackle one thing at a time uh, and, and do it well. Um, so a lot of our focus is to, to hone the model, build these strong partnerships, and then take these brands that are you know international that, that can give us rates, uh, all, you know rates offers all across the world. Um, so over the next year, you'll be seeing us expand pretty rapidly uh, internationally to really um, meet meet a lot of that international demand that we're seeing already. That's cool. That's cool. And what was the what was the last business you're working on? Yeah, so, so my, my team and I, yeah, my team and I, we started a company about 10 years ago called Cosmic. And Cosmic was uh, the creator of the modern buy button. We, yeah. we created this technology that let merchants sell their products anywhere and consumers buy anywhere. Uh, we were a, uh, yeah, we, we worked with a lot of major merchants, made merchants a lot of money over the years. And um, we ended up uh, getting acquired by our biggest customer, which was Pop Sugar, to come and empower over a billion dollars in uh, retail revenue. And then we got acquired again uh, after growing about 10x uh, post uh, first acquisition. We got we got acquired by a company called Ebates, um, which is now known as Rakuten, and and uh, that was the is the biggest uh, cashback uh, rewards company in the U.S. And, and many parts of the world. So we really got to like we we knew a lot about cashback business model because we were you know powering or trying to power a lot of them. And then once we were there, uh, we we were sort of inside the belly of the beast and got to understand that, that world and, and make merchants even more money, um, and meet a lot more merchants through that. So, uh, that really, yeah. uh, inspired us to say, Hey, look, this is a very difficult, um, you know, business to run domestically and with fiat constraints. And it's actually could be made more efficient when you have, when you introduce cryptocurrency. In addition to that, people want Bitcoin when people want crypto, uh, and they want it more easily. So, uh, taking all these different things that we, we learned over the years, uh, having gotten Bit- into Bitcoin in 2013 as a team, and then later, you know, getting into cash back rewards in, in like 2016, uh, 2017, and really understanding the space, we, we merged and married these these two ideas. Mm. I, when you mentioned the team, how many people did you work with at Cosmic and then stay on with at Rakuten? Did you stay on with the companies that were acquired? That acquired? We did, Cosmic? yeah. Yeah, yeah, we did. 
Um, so yeah, my, my, my CTO co-founder of Lolly was also my CTO co-founder of uh, Cosmic. And mm-hmm. uh, about 10 of us out of 21 full-time uh, worked together with our last company. So we very much have been working together for a long time, trust each other and gotten a band back together for this. Oh, uh, nice. This, this new, uh, this new venture, new nice, venture. Nice. Hey, where did you guys all meet? Was it, uh, you're in New York now, was it a uh, New York funded and you just met people locally there or were you somewhere else previously? No, I was, I was born and born and raised in North Carolina and, and that's where we started. Um, mm-hmm. so we, we, um, yeah, I met, I met Matt, uh, my co-founder on, uh, Google plus of all places. We, <laughs> we were in like, yeah, if you, if you remember Google plus date, dating me a little bit, but um, yeah, we were both on Google Plus. We were two of the only ones that were in like the I think Java engineering circles and then technology circles and stuff like that. If you remember the concept of a circle uh, with Google Plus, but yeah, we, we ended up um, uh, joining forces with Cosmic, and and he came in and just built everything and did, did an incredible job. And we've been working together for about ten years ever since. Yeah. How, well, how did you even get interested in this field? I ask. I mean, I the, my first company was. Uh, a payments startup. We built a, mm-hmm. a, an equivalent to a competitor to Square before Square was around. Really, the early oh, early cool. days of Square. And it was, uh, you know, I met a guy in a co working space in Los Angeles. It was 2012. It was the only co working space in LA that I knew of in tech. And he was like doing these trade shows where he would go to different events and he was the IT guy. And he's like, oh, they have no way to manage the payments between different shows. So we built this iPad. Uh, payment system. And I always ask, cause it's, it's like people's entry to payments seems sometimes so random or so, uh, you know, rarely do I meet somebody who's like, yeah, I studied finance and I knew I wanted to get into <laughs> payment tech. And they, just, <laughs> what was your, what was your, how did you fall into it? Yeah. Great question. Um, I, I've, I've been, um, moving money around the internet since I was like 16. Uh, I like, in, in, in a variety of ways, I, I was like hiring a lot of people when I was 16 to go build websites and platforms. Uh, I, I very quickly realized I, I you know, got my start uh, programming, but I actually never really liked it. I, I, I did it because I liked to, you know, to build the end product and uh, I like to, you know, solve problems. But um, I didn't really like love programming. And the way I start, the more engineers I worked with, the more I realized that you know some people love programming, and some people don't. Um, I'm more like like the design, the product, the business. Uh, side of uh, side of things, and then the programming was like a means to you know to actually like solve solve the problem. Um, but I quickly started hiring engineers all over the world. I was uh, hiring anywhere from like North Carolina to Virginia to uh, Ukraine to Bangladesh. And when I started to move money around, I started getting kicked off PayPal and mm-hmm. uh, and and you know flagged by my bank. And I, and then I started to do the math, and I was like, by the time that the money got from me to the person that. I was working with and in, in, you know, different areas of the world that, that money was then like worth 30% of what I sent them. So, or, or 70% of what I sent them. So, uh, the, I started to learn a lot about like what happens to money when you move it and how hyper inefficient, um, fiat currencies are, uh, when you look at, uh, when you're, when you're working on it, on a, with global citizens, you know, global workforce and, the internet is naturally, you know, there really aren't a lot of barriers unless the barriers are, are instituted by the, um, by the, the, the countries or the, the, the nations, uh, that are enforcing you know, certain barriers to exist. But when you look purely at the internet, like I can communicate with somebody in Bangladesh the same way that I'm communicating with you. So there aren't really too many natural barriers, uh, with the internet. And thus 
there's never really been a, um, or the surprising thing is there's never really been an internet native currency until Bitcoin uh, emerged that really had this true decentralized uh, nature to it. So when I first, um, you know, got started, I was kind of like concepting. I was like, why can't I move money all around the internet? Uh, why, why does, and, and I think a lot of people that are internet native or, or, or are get their start at, at a young age in the internet, it actually fiat currencies and transaction fees and, and, um, all the middlemen actually make way less sense than, than when you are, um, when you, when you sort of are, are in like the fiat world. So, uh, I, I actually feel like my, my fiat brain was, is, was, uh, killed a long time ago. And my, my internet brain, um, w- you know, emerged at a very young age where it just like made no sense why it's paying all these fees. So fast forward a little bit, I ended up, um, I was like in college and I was studying, uh, microfinance and one of the th- economics more specifically. And one of the things that, that fascinated me was, uh, what, what Muhammad Yunus was doing with the Grameen bank. Um, he was giving the poorest women in these different areas in Bangladesh, a cell phone. And he saw this sort of tr- trickle up economics that would occur when you give somebody something, you know, technology, access to commerce, access to communication. And when you give someone those three things, well, you know, the sort of trickle up economics that occur, the poorest woman would help the people around them, the family, the friends, and then she would then enact commerce with people in different villages. So it got my, my you know, my wheels turning with, where I was like, what does that look like with payments? What does that look like? with giving people access to, to more seamless payments, more seamless commerce to buy and sell anywhere. And that's when I really started a concept with this idea around Cosmic, which was my last company, mm-hmm. uh, to sort of solve that problem. And that was in 2011. And then 2013 comes around and I'm, I'm like a you know poor uh, bootstrap startup founder crashing on couches in New York. And I was at some random bar and this guy starts you know telling me about Bitcoin. And I'm like, oh my God, this is the future. This is like, Everything that I had I had sought out to build with Cosmic was native to this currency. Um, you know, what was me? What was I? You know, how small was I thinking to think I could create on this like centralized platform that like you know didn't look too dissimilar from the Shopify's and the Squares of the world? You know, similar to, to kind of how you were thinking. And you know, how much greater could we think? How much bigger could we think if we're building on top of this decentralized currency that connects four billion people with an internet connection? So. Uh, that that was like the mind blowing moment for me, where it just like made total sense. I could move money to Ukrainian engineers, Bangladeshi engineers, and they could take the exact same. You know, one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin, a hundred satoshis is a hundred satoshis, and I could then move that money anywhere in the world. And sure, like it's going to be volatile, you know, especially in the early days. But at least what I recognize as money being like one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin is the same for what they recognize as money. And when you zoom out a little bit and you're moving money into highly volatile or hyperinflationary or inflationary, um, you know, monies, that, that volatility isn't as great as you think it is, is with the fiat US dollar mindset. Um, and, and Bitcoin is actually way, way less volatile when you look at it in relation to other, um, other countries that don't necessarily have the, the strength of the monetary policy that the US government does. So, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of like feel like, I'm, I'm a symptom or, a, a, or my brain is a symptom of creation of like a lot of different things uh, and, and sort of this kaleidoscopic view of the world that like an internet native citizen can kind of like look at. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's, yeah. that's kind of how I, yeah. I came to believe in Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency as a whole. That's awesome. Yeah, great, great story. Uh, when you were studying uh, finance and economics in school, did, did you have a, um, a 
sort of a, a leaning coming out of that experience? Did you lean towards, say, like uh, philosophically on how governments should impart their power on on currency? Do you do you say, let's paint the spectrum as being government should play no role and they should let people do what they want. Let's let's keep the domain to the Internet and and currency to the government should play a role and they should be very concerned and they should enact rules. And and right now this is topical because uh I'm sure you you saw the Coinbase CEO tweet about the SEC, and we're in you know now September 2021, and it feels like the government is, at least in the U.S., coming online. They want to do something. They're threatening uh, the crypto companies. Like Coinbase is certainly a leader in, in the U.S., one of the leading crypto companies, and we don't know quite. I mean, the the outcome of that seems pretty unclear. Where do you sort of stand on the spectrum of uh, government's role throughout all this? <laughs> Yeah, hard hitting uh, question. So it's it's uh, I, I like it. Um, I I uh, I actually you know I I try to stay. Uh, I, I have I have I think I have unique politics, and I think my politics, if they were trying to be interpreted into like, it would kind of break some people's like mindset because I think a lot of people like to bucket into saying I'm a libertarian, I'm a liberal, I'm a conservative, and I uh, I very much have my own my own beliefs that I think are. Um, like I, I would say my beliefs are like 10 years, 20 years in the future that not, not trying to like, you know, toot my own horn or anything, but I, I don't think that the beliefs that I have exist today in sort of like a label. And if you were to take mm-hmm. di- different pieces, it would actually look, you know, some, some of my beliefs are, are, are very, uh, um, socially minded. And some of my beliefs are more, um, free market minded. Um, and I think those beliefs are, don't exist today because there's not, there's not politicians that are as advanced as like entrepreneurs or founders that are like looking in the future of like, what is a better world? Uh, I think government is hyper inefficient. I think that government is like hor- like one of the worst performing, you know, organizations, uh, in, in the world, if you were to just look at it as that. Um, and so in many ways, you know, I, I believe in, in free markets where it's like the, the best product should always win and let me do whatever I want to do. Um, and the best product will win, the consumers will pick the best product. But then in other ways, I, I think that we have to look out for, for everybody. And, and we aren't all as you know, fortunate to um, you know, be in those positions we are uh, with like education, with access to, um, you know, access to great education, access to resources. Um, and I don't believe necessarily from day one that we are given the same you know, uh, affordances. So you know, in, in, that, in that sense, I want to I, I, I love paying taxes, to be perfectly honest. And I think that's a little bit contrarian with sort of the libertarian uh, beliefs that a lot of, you know, a lot of Bitcoiners share. So I, I, um, I, I personally, I love paying taxes. I'm happy paying taxes. I, I love being American. Um, I love being, you know, I feel so lucky to have been born in the United States. Um, and I'm, I'm like, sure, it's like I, I hate the inefficiencies of the government. And a lot of taxes go towards government, but a lot of taxes also go to private institutions to fund you know, innovation. So I kind of have this, this like unique belief, I think unique, and I don't find too many people that, that have both those sort of things where we have to, we have to look out for all citizens. We have to, you know, be socially minded. We have to give back. We have to protect, um, you know, everybody. Um, you know, I believe in, in everyone should have, uh, access to healthcare. Um, but then also at the same time, you know, we need to push innovation. We need free markets. We need um, this ability to actually like serve the private sector because, you know, I, I'm not I'm not working 
um, you know, for, for free and I'm not building a company as big as I can because, because it's like, I'm paying, you know, 90% taxes. So there's a balance there of like, you know, giving me the incentive to build the future that I want to live in, that I want my kids and my grandkids to live in, giving me the incentive to go do that, enabling me as an entrepreneur to go build a company and compete with the, you know, the Apples, the Googles, the Facebooks of the world so that we don't live in this like, you know, um, monopoly or oligopoly. Mm give me the ability as a small business owner uh, and, and an innovator to build innovative technology and not, you know, not build into these like anti-competitive, um, you know, oligopolies. So I think that there's this like beautiful balance that uh, sort of naturally comes from a free market where like the government is a competitor while at the same time as being, uh, you know, complementary to my growth. There's things I can't do unless I have government intervention. And there's things that, you know, inhibit me. Like there's things that I'm, I'm, I'm like where my, I have handcuffs where I know that an Estonian entrepreneur has, has a better, a, a, a more of an advantage to go build certain products, especially in web three that I have. And that when I look at, you know, when I talk to government officials, I'm like, look at what, look at what you're doing to me to not let me innovate on a, on a global scale. And if you don't let me do the certain things that I need to do to compete with the entire world, the U S is going to get left behind because the best entrepreneurs are going to get left behind because I literally am not legally able to build certain things that people on a, in a global um, spectrum are able to build. So I, I, uh, I have, I think, yeah, I don't, I don't know if there yeah. is a term for those beliefs, but feel free to, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, love yeah. to hear your, your thoughts on that front. Well, I almost, uh, I didn't hear too much there. That was uh, contrarian from what I think a, a, a moderate, rational view is on, say, if you just take fiscal policy, we're certainly taking care of all the people in society, uh, all certainly encompassing those that are struggling financially, those that don't have enough to pay for basic means of living. That's, that's gotta be a priority because if that, if that's not met, then the system is at risk for flipping. Those people tend to just say, Hey, this is not a game worth playing. Therefore, I'm just going to riot. I'm going to, you know, screw it, screw up the game for everyone. So uh, logically, I think that's, that's pretty, you can, you can quite easily make that argument. On the flip side, free markets have to exist. Incentives, I think you said it a certain way where I'd almost, I view it as the inverse of that, where uh, it's not that the government gives you any incentive. The government agrees to not get in the way of your incentive. You're already incentivized. You know, you want to be appreciated by people around you. You want to contribute to other people's lives and thus you want them to contribute to your life. And we each kind of agree to go down our silos. Like you've spent, you know, a lot of your life focusing on like a really like pinpointed, if you take the total economy, like you're, you're in the, like the cashback category of Bitcoin and, and how, uh, f- payments intersect with that in, in large merchants. And then somebody else is going to be, they're going to be an artist and they're going to be spending 10 hours a day drawing and you're going to benefit from that at some point. So I think that the government to me has a, a grip on the, the, global currency today, let's take the US government, and that comes with tremendous power. And as citizens of this country, we've benefited from that leverage, that that power. The US largely exports as a uh, as an export currency. You know, we the US dollar is traded in, in most countries. And the US doesn't want to lose that grip, that power, because when it does, and when it gets superseded by blockchain technology and, and cryptocurrencies, then the, the U.S. dollar starts to become less relevant. And while that's good for us as a global community, that we're using a super hyper-efficient currency that we all recognize and is very secure, it 
it, it, it certainly detracts from the, the power that the U.S. dollar has. So I think what, what I observe what's currently happening is the U.S. government says, hey, we want to remain powerful. In fact, we'd like to even be more powerful if that's possible. We certainly don't want to drastically and quickly lose our power. Cryptocurrency, uh, I, I'm frankly quite impressed that the government has taken the approach of let's wait and see. I think it's it's quite fresh. Like we're 2021. They took that philosophy under Bill Clinton with the Internet and largely said we're going to remain you know, pr- pretty we're going to take the back seat and just let whatever happens on the internet happen. And then we'll react to that as opposed to being proactive. And I think that that philosophy has taken place in crypto, but we're, we're starting to see like the grip happening because, because it's working. Like, you know, it's really blockchain technology and crypto are superseding the dollar in many ways. And I think that that uh, slip is going to start to happen. And I think it plays out with the government's ability to, um, impact the the day-to-day life of its citizens by giving free money to people like we printed out how many trillions of dollars in the last couple of years and just gave it out to people like that that power comes with a downside you know doing that um diminishes the power of the dollar for other people across the world because everyone else just paid the price of inflation once all that money was printed to give it to us citizens. So I think it's like, there's like a double-edged sword here. It's like, you can do something that benefits your own citizens. You can play that Trump card, but it's going to come at a price delayed down the road. Um, one point that somebody brought up to me on a podcast, uh, a couple episodes ago that I've been ruminating about is the government implicitly engages with you and me in a financial relationship with the understanding that if you go out of business and declare bankruptcy, then the government's going to recognize that that insolvency, that bankruptcy, and 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 provide a social safety net, a financial social safety net. And when the government says, "Hey, we're not going to allow people to make investment decisions and investments if you don't have a million dollars in net worth or two hundred thousand in income, if you're not an accredited investor," for the longest time, I've been very against that. I think that people should be able to make their own financial decisions. Uh, but somebody brought up, uh, it was a hedge fund manager. He's like, look, if the government has a relationship with you financially, then they're going to, they're going to have the right and the power to introduce certain rules. So I, I think about that and whether the future is inevitably the government not having a financial relationship with citizens and, and whether it's just a matter of time before that happens. And the U S is just going to decide whether we're going to make it more painful or less painful as we go down that road. Again, I'm also just kind of rambling here, but I'm curious of that if anything stuck out to you. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mostly lean towards like free market on that on that front. Um, I think you have I I, I I you know I've devoted my life to like democratizing um, ac- access to you know financial tools to payments um, to to that, and I you know I, I didn't you know grow up with money like you know we you know middle middle class, and um, I, I you know I. I I, I look at myself as like self-made, but at the same time, I had access to a great education. Um, I, um, you know, I was able to, um, you know, get to where I'm, I, I'm at. Um, but at the same time, I, I, not everybody has that. And I, I think that, you know, the, I love the quote where it's just like, it's like a opportunity. Um, what, what is it? It's like, it's like access. Uh, what, what I'm blanking on the quote. Um, it's to- like, opportunity is not, um, basically it's like, it's, 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 it's this principle that like, 
everybody, um, everybody can, you know, it can be born in anything, but not everybody has the same opportunity. So a lot of what I, mm. I, I'm trying to create in the private sector is ha- giving everyone access to that opportunity. So I do think that like we should break some of those law, uh, break some of those rules um, uh, that we that we have in place to let everybody be able to invest in in companies. It's like who's the government to say what's risky or what's not? Um, mm. You know, like crypto is a great example of that. There have been people who have identified this trend um, because 4 billion people with internet connection have had access to it and have emerged out of poverty because they saw this mimetic trend occur. They were like, of course, you know, there's this sound monetary policy that is Bitcoin. And of course, there's only 21 million of there's a scarcity principle um, of it. And like, I want to invest in that. Um, I think it's a great example of people who have gotten into it. And, you know, you could look on the, on the other side and say, you know, people shouldn't be able to invest in shit coins. It's like, uh, I don't know. It's yeah. like free market kind of playing out. Um, yeah. uh, you know, where where if you don't do your diligence and you don't learn it, um, you know, it's up to it's up to you. So yeah. uh, I get I get the argument where the government should um, you know protect its citizens, but I don't know if that's the way it should protect its citizens um, in, in in the same way. But it is there's a lot of gray area, and I I I, I almost sympathize with the policymakers of like how hard it's like how hard that is it's like what is risky anymore like you know are like pretty much liquid assets liquid equity is like semi-liquid equity is a pretty great asset like over time right like um startups are risky um maybe there is should be a, like a lower threshold but not a complete you know threshold for everyone to invest in everything but um liquid assets have been pretty pretty uh, successful so far as, as yeah. uh, like on the on the grand scheme of things in the grand yeah. scheme, grand scheme yeah. things. like I think Robinhood and like access to stocks, like you know that that wasn't always ex- very accessible, but Robinhood made stocks accessible to to many people, um, and you don't have to really be an accredited investor to to invest in the public market. So um, almost maybe, maybe it is opening up that criteria for um, what what a what a uh, you know for the public markets. But I don't think that the government does the worst job. Uh, they but they could always do a better job. Yeah. Yeah. And I always think a better job is doing less. Like I, I see yeah. a lot of the, you know, it's like how many times you go to a crypto site, <clears throat> trading site, marketplace, uh, DeFi, and they're like, oh, sorry, we can't, we can't serve this state or the entire United States because of some yeah. rule. And, and oftentimes it's just vague and the company is not willing to take on the risk. Um, and it's like, look, we're not the only, I, I'm not certainly hammering the US. China certainly seemed pretty at least they were they were not discriminately against uh, Bitcoin, and then they came out and said, "Hey, you can't do any mining." And it just overnight, the entire everyone imagine just investing your your life savings or taking out a loan, starting a mining company in China, and it's like, "Oh, you gotta up and leave right away." Um, so it's yeah, yeah there's certainly attention. Well, that, that, the great thing about Bitcoin is it did it did relatively little, like it it, it affected things very little. Like even though a lot of the chi- uh, miners were in China, uh, it was like. Bitcoin, I mean, didn't really take that big of a hit. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think Bitcoin's pretty resilient to government intervention. It's pretty independent, um, and it's shown that over time. That you know, how many times has India banned it, China banned it, um, or or you know, rules around it? And then I don't really think that the U.S. will, will ever ban it. I think it would be. I think we'd have like an uh, uproar at this point if you know the government said you know, kind of went back to like uh, saying, oh, you know, you can't own gold or like. They, yeah. they took the precedent that that Bitcoin yeah. is property. So imagine you know the government coming in and seizing property. Uh, I mean that the, the yeah. it would it would set a pretty scary precedent. Uh, and 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 I think like you know I don't really have a lot of faith in a lot of our politicians. A lot of them are like um, 
uh, technologically illiterate. And you, when you, when you see them, you know, arguing for something or against something, and they don't even know, uh, this industry that we're in, uh, granted, like, you know, it's, there's a lot going on. It's like, we have people that are, we, we, we people have no clue what they're talking about. Yeah. Uh, that said, <laughs> if, they, if they have no clue what they're talking about, um, you know, that like the, one of the only things I've ever agreed with Ted Cruz on <laughs> is, uh, you know, he came out and he was like, he, he, he like challenged every politician. He was like, if anyone knows what you're talking about, please explain blockchain, explain Bitcoin, explain decentral decentralization, explain mining, proof of stake, proof of work, um, you know, cu- cu- you know, stand up, explain it. And, and if you're going to go also, you know, uh, propose banning it with, which is what Yellen's been on the, on the, um, the side of, or highly regulating it. So I think the best, the best, pl- like, stance to take is just like don't touch it let us yeah let us own it let us let us innovate let us create let us like you know compete or you know we'll leave and we'll go start you know a company somewhere else like the the, the world is way too like there's so much talent everywhere all over the world and like i know that the u.s is the best country in the world in my opinion um and and we have you know i, I think unbelievable amount of rights and freedoms um uh that that a lot of countries don't have but you take those away from us and the U S becomes a way less attractive place to, to go build. And as soon as we lose that on the world stage of the U S being the greatest place to to live, the greatest place to build, uh, the greatest place to innovate, you start to change that mindset. Like I I grew up knowing that I had, I could do anything I wanted. I, I could, I could build anything, do anything. That was always my mindset. Nobody ever told me I couldn't, you know, dream something. I couldn't build something. And that's where I'm at today. Like I, I still, you know, I look at the world being like, okay, well, there's no better place to build than the U.S. Like, sure, I might get, you know, taxed a little bit more here than other places, but like I said, I don't mind. I don't mind paying taxes. I can, I can vote for politicians that you know are 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 for the more um, the better use of taxes. I can build companies and and encourage you know invest in companies and uh, that are going to you know create more competitive services to the government. Um, you know that that are going to. Um, you know, sort of lean on the side of like private sector can can do more and do better. Um, but you know, like I, I have no right now, I have no incentive uh, to build anywhere else unless unless the government sort of uh, takes a different stance <laughs> yeah. and makes me build yeah. somewhere else. Yeah, it makes it really uncomfortable. I mean, it's also the reality is that it's 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 a uh, it's a big deal to move to a new country. You know, if you're if you're born and raised in a country, like especially America, just is we can't just drive a couple hours being another country like you can in Europe. You know, if, if France or right. Germany or Switzerland, like, it's a lot more cohesive together over there. It's like you can you can move to Port- Puerto Rico. I have a bunch of friends. I'm sure you know people who moved to Puerto Rico. Uh, that seems to be quite trendy for crypto people, but it's still a inconvenience. And I, I think I'm I'm much more a proponent of probably how you are, which is like let's let's talk about the problems openly. Let's invite the people who make decisions. Pressure them to, I'm a big proponent of having conversations, probably because I'm doing this podcast, but also because I believe that when you are willing to have a long form conversation, you're implicitly uh, presenting the idea that I don't necessarily have all the answers and I'm willing to engage and and use the back and forth to come to a better, uh, a better understanding of how we should collectively act from your from incorporating your, your viewpoint if there's anything that i think we're doing not enough of collectively it's it's engaging with people who disagree with us with the intent to understand why they disagree as opposed to just writing people off as being dumb or greedy or selfish or you know whatever the antagonistic word is so yeah yeah i i, I totally agree i think i think that's 
that's like one of my biggest observations. It's like, I, I think that it's important to look at the world, look at problems with a kaleidoscopic view. It's, it's like, look at it from different angles. Like why, why do, you know, conservatives look at, you know, something one way, why do liberals look at it from another way, uh, and understand and listen. Uh, and I think that's going to bring us together. And I, I, you know, I, I don't think my, my views fit in one category. And I part a lot of that is because I, I try to, you know, err on the side of, of listening to both sides. And, there's great ideas from both sides and it's, it kind of sucks that we have to like, look at it as like the, the country's divided or, or whatever. Cause it's like, we should all have individual thoughts. We should all have individual ideas. Uh, and yeah, like, unfortunately we, we kind of have to, we can't always vote for like just the, our individual ideas. It's not a pure, you know, democracy or anything like that. Like we have to kind of vote for the candidate that represents us most. And a lot of those times in a two party system, you, you kind of have to choose sides of, you know, are you liberal? Are you Republican? But it's like, like, you know, or, you know, are, are you Democrat? Are you Republican? Um, but in, in reality, we should have like, like in, in an ideal world, we would, we would be self-sovereign. We would have our own ideas and, and our own thoughts. And, and, um, and we would come to those through the listening. Uh, and I think that would be a better world. Um, but yeah. not everyone thinks like that, but, uh, well, uh, hopefully yeah. we're, we're on a, on a path to, to thinking more like that. And it sounds like, you know, that's, that's kind of how you think. And, and, uh, hopefully, there's any anything from this podcast, not just like earning free Bitcoin, uh, also like thinking more kaleidoscopically um, in, in you know in most problems with the world. Yeah, yeah, I think it's to me it comes down to being being curious because curious curious yeah. carries with it open mindedness and it carries with it a uh, a willingness to to give away ideas. Like I, I come at you and I'm like Alex, you know what? This is what I believe and. You know, I, I throw it at you and you're like, well, I, you know, I think you're wrong in this area. And it's like, look, prove me wrong. I would love it, right? Prove me wrong on something, can throw out a more convincing argument. Maybe you've, you've seen a lot of different stuff in the world than I have. And that would be amazing if I could walk away with a, a new idea that I was convinced of that's better. And I think a, a lot of people are, you know, media certainly is the tradition of media has a lot of momentum. And as people starts to view independent thinkers on social media, they're more compelling. And I think that that is a trend that will continue to grow, especially in our generation, where it's like, why, why give attention to people on, 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 on mass media? It's not attention is the currency of the world. And that attention is quickly dissolving from centralized systems to more distributed. I'm, I'm giving it to many different people. And that, that's ultimately a really good thing because it ultimately it's, it's more engaging. You know, you can feel you, like you were saying earlier, you grew up feeling like you could build anything. Well, that, that carries with it the understanding that you have enough uh, capability, potential to understand the world, to do enough as opposed to like, well, this is just the way it is. You know, it's like, this system is in place and you're not going to be able to change it. It's like you can go and talk to people. I mean, the awesome thing about this country is you can really go and, and pressure politicians and, and talk to them about ways like educating people is a really powerful, powerful thing. Um, on Lolly, yeah, I, want touch on, I want to touch on Lolly a little bit more. Um, the, uh, let's go in the future. So today, right now you have relationships. Uh, I assume they're contract relationships with merchants where you're integrating to their payment processor, whatever they're using. So you recognize when someone makes a transaction and then you have the contact information of the customer and you can send a deposit to a wallet that the customer has on file. And then you're charging probably in multiple different payment methods, but somehow you're charging the merchants on some periodic basis, like maybe a 30 day 
net 30 or something. Is that roughly how the business logic is structured? Yeah, for the most part. Uh, yeah, no. the, the simple the simple way of looking at it is like merchants pay us when our users shop their sites. It's a, it's like incentive mm-hmm. marketing. Um, it, like uh, yeah, they you know they they merchants are always looking for to compete against Amazon and to you know get more users. Uh, we've created a tool that gives people an incentive to shop at our merchants as opposed to other merchants. So um, you know if, if Nike wants more customers, they're going to have a higher um, you know higher percentage back. And, uh, they, in many cases, like for, in the first year, they didn't care about Bitcoin. They were just like, okay, if you, if, if you're bringing us customers, we'll, we'll keep giving you more money and stuff like that. Now, you know, and, and, and what was cool about that is it was sort of a Trojan horse. Like, you know, people have been mm. talking about, if you read the original Bitcoin white paper, um, you know, it was, it was a P2P, uh, a payment system. Right. And, and now, you know, Bitcoin is very much like the, the greatest store of value and, and, this incredible digital currency, this digital store of value. Um, but in order to get to this like eventual, you know, hyper Bitcoinization state, uh, you have to kind of get creative with how you give distribute it to the people and how you introduce it to people. So we were able to use cash back as a way to not just do the obvious, which is give Bitcoin back to consumers, but also get thousands of merchants on board that had never even touched crypto. I think even mm. today, Five, there's like five, literally, I think five merchants of, out of our a uh, thousand plus that actually accept crypto. Hmm. So all they're they're all they're all doing Bitcoin back, but many of them, you know, we're their only crypto company that they work with. So we're also not we're not just on the forefront of consumer adoption, making it incredibly easy. We're also on the forefront of of merchant adoption to make to get merchants into crypto to get them comfortable with Bitcoin, and and I think that's an incredibly important thing because. If, if you look at like activity, if you look at rituals, if you look at making crypto a part of everyday life, it, it's, you can't just do the consumer. Like the amount of times that I move money to my friends is about once a week, once a month. Um, you know, if I like, you know, if we split dinner or if we go on a trip or if there's like a bachelor party or whatever it is, like it's like once a month, right? Uh, maybe once every couple of weeks if, if you're, if you're doing, you know, dinner and splitting and for whatever reason. So now it's like, you know, the, the, the amount of times I, I, I use my card or the amount of times I go to merchants or spend money, it's like four or five times a day. So the mm. amount of touch points that you can actually make crypto be a part of everyday life is way greater than mm. if you're actually going to, uh, you know, to, to just do a P2P, you know, system. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. so, yeah, more touch points for a consumer, more touch points for a merchant, and ultimately all sides win. Yeah. Yeah. I think a bit, I think kind of how you're underscoring a major aspect to widespread adoption is, is culture and it's people's understanding of how often they see it. Like if you, you know, most people don't interact with the ACH system to know how terrible it is. But if you're in business and you send ACH transfers, you're like, Oh my God, this thing takes, you know, five, six days. It doesn't work on weekends and holidays, but it's, you have to, you have to interact with it to appreciate how bad it is. And on the flip side, Like what you're doing is you're like, hey, all the consumers of the world, even all the merchants of the world, the people in business behind the scenes, let's just get you some exposure to this. It doesn't have to be the primary pipes through which you're paying for something. But even if it's like a 1%, 2% cash back, it's it's significant, not even just in the volume of money, but in the the uh the, the the mental impact that it's making. It's like, oh, I have a big I have a Bitcoin wallet. I know how to do move it. It's like it takes probably you know, I'm sure the first time you've moved Bitcoin, you're like, you check that code 15 times and you're like reading all the terms of service. It takes probably a good 
15, transa- 15 transactions, transfers on crypto until you're comfortable and you understand the different aspects of it. So getting people very comfortable with it is, uh, is, is hugely underrated, um, aside from just the, the volume of, and growth there. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's, uh, it, it, it's, you, I think the, the easiest way to understand Bitcoin is to understand, like, just, just to do it. Like, move yeah. money, move it once, and you start to get, like, how powerful it is. You're like, wait a second, nobody, no, I didn't need any sign-off. I didn't need to run it through, like, yeah. any other per- permission. It's like permissionless money, and, and you send it to yourself, send it to a friend, yeah. like, um, get it sent to you. It's like, you have to use it to really understand how powerful it is. And as soon as you do, it just blows your mind. Like I, 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 that's what I think it's like when I talk about like breaking the fiat mindset, like breaking this idea that you like need other institutions, um, to move money around. Like mm-hmm. my money should be mine. I'm an individual. I'm not like, you know, like I should be able to own my money and own my assets and I should be able to move it to you when I owe you money. It's like, we, we yeah. should be, you know, the air on the side of self-sovereignty um, you know, cause we are individuals and, and, uh, there are, you know, wonderful things that come from a, a collective, a tribe, um, that, that, you know, where we can pool resources, um, and help each other. Um, but then there's, there's plenty of things where it's like, no, I, I should truly own my own money and move money. And you don't really understand that until you use Bitcoin and you're like, wait a second, what, mm-hmm. what, what's happening with my bank? What's happening with ACH? Like, how does this, how does this all work? Like mm-hmm. Bitcoin makes you question money. Uh, and I think that's a really good thing. Last thing I want to ask you about is the uh, credit cards. So, uh, Visa, Mastercard, <coughs> Amex, maybe maybe Discover. I don't know how big they are now, but the first few are, are major institutions. You know, they've been around for a while. They're massive companies. They they seem to just be ever present. Do you view Lolly overtly as a competitive threat? Um, maybe in the short term, it's complementary. Uh, but is is there a way that maybe it's not Lolly? But do you see a, a, a world where we're just beyond credit cards and they're not, not functional, or maybe they're displaced on, on blockchain with new, more innovative companies, or maybe MasterCard Visa open up blockchain departments and really take it on board and completely change their model. What's your, what's your view on, on credit for individuals and credit cards? Um, uh, I'm trying to think I'm trying to wait, let me, let me add one more thing to that. Yeah. It's like, do you agree with the, the idea that credit cards paved the way for this cashback? Uh, mindset where you, you know you're using credit and part of that is the companies are benefiting from that so they're sharing in the returns um, and so people come to expect you know you get two percent back on chase or sapphire card or whatever it is and so that's kind of the default expectation yeah the, they're you know the, ra- the rails of credit cards the rails of debit cards of, of of like had to have been set for us to possibly understand you know, these things like QR code payments and, and digital, you know, payments. So we're, we're going into a world where it's like, you know, cards set up the, the frameworks, um, set up the network effects uh, of payments and let us like really have like, I mean, people can spend more and better and more efficiently. Uh, it's easier, you know, than having to carry around like gold, right? Or, or, or coins or cash. It's like, uh, it's way easier to just have a card. You go swipe it everywhere. Uh, the thing that's coming is now we have, you know, our, our phones that we can go move money anywhere. And, and, uh, and so that's just becoming all seamless and all running into one. So, um, I think the networks are incredibly important for distribution and adoption, but do I, I think the defensibility is actually around the loyalty networks. And, um, you know, we are able to build our own network, our own loyalty network, but 
there's there's strong arguments to be made that we can actually partner with different networks that have existing loyalty networks and uh, existing network effects um, that can increase the adoption of crypto through that. So, yeah, I, it's it's kind of a double edged sword where in many ways um, the the networks will help adoption of crypto, but then there's so many archaic pieces about the the network. So interchange is an archaic idea, right? Like been around for what, 30 years or so and hasn't changed. And some merchants love it. Some merchants hate it, but effectively, um, you know, it helps some merchants. It, it really hurts other merchants. Um, and so people should be able to choose is my, is my point of view. So we're trying to build a business where people can choose um, what they pay. Like merchants can choose what they pay. They can choose not to work with Ollie or they can choose to pay 1% um, you know, re rewards or they can pay 10% rewards. So it should be on a variable scale. It shouldn't be, people shouldn't be forced to pay something. Um, mm -hmm. it should just be saying like, Hey, do you want an incentive for, you know, to attract a lolly customer? So some of our merchants have very low rates, uh, and some of our merchants have extremely high rates because they have a higher propensity and, and or value that they're assigning to our customer and other customers. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it's hmm. like, you know, I would say the, the credit card companies are both good and bad uh, at the same time. And the parts that are bad will be destroyed by, you know, more innovative companies and ideas and crypto. Um, and they will make a choice to adopt it or not. So Visa and MasterCard have both, you know, started, this is very public, um, you know, they, they've started um, crypto sides of, of both of their organizations and, and had... Uh, no, they, they know that they're going to get left behind if they don't uh, adopt it in some form or fashion. But their business models around like interchange is going to just dramatically change. It has to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, are consumers interested and willing to to, um, you know, pay uh, predatory rates uh, that a lot of them are you know required to to take? And I don't know if those are sustainable. I don't know if it's sustainable to charge 25 percent APY on a consumer. Um, you know, it's se seemingly like that's becoming increasingly more um, unpopular for people to want to have those high rates and and be subjected to that, uh, especially when people aren't carrying balances. So it's like it's like the the people that are um, not paying the 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 not using their credit card as a debit card um, and and carrying that balance, they're not really that interested in paying like twenty percent rates, uh, but they're paying they're they're making the business model work for everybody. So I think eventually, mm -hmm. like you know, people on, on existing, pe someone will replicate credit systems where you can build credit on chain and you, your wallet will be the, you know, will have your credit rating. So, you know, like if I build up this wallet and I have this public address, my wallet should have some sort of rating system based on my assets that I have under management. So it'd be like this, like live credit rating where it's like, I have these NFTs or I have this amount of Bitcoin or I have this amount of of uh, ETH or whatever it is. And then I, I have a certain credit rating assigned to my wallet. And so I can stake to, er to, to have some sort of balance. Um, and then I can, I can, you know, earn rewards on that staking. I can earn rewards on, on that, uh, on that balance and on that history. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot, it's like, it's like day one or yeah. super early days, but I think you can almost, you know, believe that anything that is centralized could be hypothetically de decentralized or, a smart contract in a long enough time frame could be built on top of most, you know, what I call dumb contracts uh, that we sign with these centralized institutions. So eventually we'll get there. Um, it's just a matter of time before the, 
decentralized world overtakes the centralized world. It's just, it's inevitable. Yeah. What a world that would be that it's, yeah, it's kind of, kind of you know, you really think about it. It's, it's dramatically different in, in so many ways. <clears throat> Alex, man, really, really enjoyed talking to you today. Um, is there anything that's, that's top of mind for you, uh, recently that you're looking for, whether it's, uh, you guys raised, how much did you guys raise total so far from investors? We raised 20 million total. We raised 15 over the last few months. Hmm. And so you're done raising. You are mm-hmm. looking, I'd imagine, always for new merchants and customers. Is there one that you internally prioritize over the others? Is it like, are they Both. kind of equally, yeah, uh, yeah. valuable? It's a, it's a, it's a chicken or egg, and it's and yeah. it's also like one. It's a fly it, chicken or egg. It started as a chicken or egg. It's now a flywheel effect. So we get more merchants, we get more consumers, we get more consumers. They they earn more. The merchants make more. So it's just like beautiful flywheel mm-hmm. of a business where the more merchants we have, the more consumers we get, the more consumers we get, the higher rates we get. So it, it, it's, it's like a, yeah, we're just on that flywheel. So always looking for more consumers. So everybody share, you know, use Lolly, share with their friends. Um, and then, you know, m- merchants, uh, always looking for new merchants that, um, that want to offer Bitcoin back. So, um, yeah, I would say like all, all those things. So it's been, it's been a really cool. fun company to start um with great people and and uh yeah uh, yeah sounds like you guys have a keep, great keep growing great team too congrats on all the progress man Very lucky. we'll have to have you have you back on one day when you have a, a new exciting announcement yeah so we, we should have a um I, i'm the, 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 we just launched the mobile app and, and in about a month we have a uh, a very uh, a massive feature coming out that's going to oh. give give people a lot a lot more rewards uh, i'll say that on on everyday purchases so, Ooh. um, yeah, t- tune, tune in, um, in like a month and, and, uh, we'll, Wait, we'll be, a, like yeah, a, download a, the app today. a new merchant you're announcing or a new, a new feature in the app, a uh, big, a big product, big product. Ooh, Ooh I'm yeah. stoked. <laughs> yeah. It's going it's to be fun. Uh, people are going to be able to earn a lot more and, uh, I think, I think people are going to be pretty happy. So Free yeah, money. Ch- check, check it, check us out. Uh, it should be like mid October, uh, 2021. Uh, nice. so yeah, check us out and, and, uh, be able to earn a lot more. All right, man. Well, I'm big, I'm big fan. So congrats on all the stuff and keep cranking. Yeah. Awesome. Right. Uh, take, take care. care. Mike. Thank you for listening to around the coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thank you.